0: Yassas, welcome to Greek Like Me, the podcast about all things Greek for Greeks, polenophiles, and anybody who's interested in learning about other cultures. I'm your host, Pamela Diodes-Wood. Email us at stealthgreek at gmail.com to share comments, questions, and stories about Greeks, Greekness, or your own ethnic background. Today we're going to talk about machlepi. I love the way it smells. I've got a container of it with me right now. I am practically snorting this stuff. Mm -hmm. It's a spice used by Greeks, folks in Turkey, the Middle East, Armenia. This past week I've been reading about people trying to describe its scent and taste. The aroma is intense. So is the smell of gasoline. It has the scent of almond with a hint of cherry. Cherry with a hint of vanilla. It's not easy to describe. You know what it smells like? It smells like mahlepi. It's like telling someone who's never smelled almonds, ah, it's like peanuts with a hint of pear or sawdust. Not a complete lie, but nowhere near the truth. I'm glad the world is discovering mahlebi. It's a wonderful thing, but people on culinary sites will make me crazy. I totally understand bakers and cooks wanting a point of reference. I do. I do, too. Like, is it sweet, savory, sour? But the stuff I'm reading, it's like calling Lucomadas Greek zeppoles. They are not. And pastitsio is not Greek lasagna. Stop it. Lomain is not Chinese spaghetti. No. Sometimes you have to try something new, and then you will know what it is. You could accurately say it smells a little fruity, a little sharp, but mostly it smells like machlepi. And I love the taste of machlepi. It tastes like cherry, almonds, and vanilla, according to one site. Cherry, almond, and orange blossom on another. Bitter almonds, cherry, and rose, says a third. But not quite. It tastes like machlepi. It can have a bite to it, but blended into a sweetbread, it's smooth and comforting and slightly perfumey. Maybe more than slightly. Someone once said it tastes a little like marzipan, but I hate marzipan, so it's not that. But almost that sensation on your tongue, maybe? Not the consistency, though. Does this make sense? Describe cinnamon to someone who's never had it. It doesn't taste like nutmeg or cloves with a hint of orange blossom. It has a bite, but does that describe it? It heightens flavor. So does machreppi. It's especially wonderful in sweets. Machreppi too! But it can work in cooking, yeah. We wondered if we could really put together enough for an entire episode, but I don't care. If you want to know about Greek culture, you have to know about machreppi, at least its existence. You should experience it. If you want to bake like a Greek, you have to use makhlepi at some point. As far as I'm concerned, I'm doing everybody a favor. You're welcome. To Greeks, it's makhlepi. In the Middle East, Armenian, Turkey, they call it makhleb. More recipes are starting to pop up in mainstream media, but I really suggest starting out with the old recipes first to really get the aroma, the taste. My ancestors and the others have been using this spice for centuries upon centuries. We know what we're doing, okay? Am I biased? You seriously had doubts? Machlepi shines in sweetbreads, pastries, cookies, custards, and other dairy dishes. But you can also have mahleb in breads and buns that aren't as sweet. With cheese. We've got links to recipes on the website from all over the region that uses machlepi or machleb. I could have posted dozens. But what the heck is machrepi? It's a seed that comes from the inside of a cherry pit from a particular variety of black cherry tree, prunus machaleb, sometimes called St. Lucie cherry. Don't ask me why St. Lucie. The closest I could get to an answer with all of the conflicting information I found is that somewhere in France is a convent called St. Lucie that planted these trees when they were all the ornamental rage in medieval times and that maybe they have a history of making religious objects from the wood. That's all. The trees are native to the Middle East. Some sites say they're also native to Southern Europe and parts of Northern Europe, or maybe they were introduced there a long time ago. I think the latter is more accurate. The first writings about it were in Sumerian, the language of the folks that populated Mesopotamia, now known as Iraq, Syria, Turkey, Kuwait, then Makhleb showed up in medieval Arabic writings, Latin and Greek encyclopedias. I wanted so badly to find an English translation of a medical botany book written in Latin by a dude named Ioannis in 1479, but I couldn't find it, at least not in time to post the episode. I am that nerd. Travelers and merchants from the Middle East brought the Machaleb tree into what is now Turkey and Greece later the romans carried those trees everywhere mostly because they're very attractive they're all over the world now as ornamental trees even alaska and switzerland the fruit the cherries themselves are small glossy dark and very bitter not an edible fruit one site i visited said they're toxic but that was the only one that said so if you ate a big handful maybe but why why would you do that yuck Somebody, most likely it was the Sumerians, got the idea of getting the pit out of that nasty little fruit, breaking open the hard-as-rock pit, and taking out the little soft kernel inside. The seed, if you put it in your mouth, is also not at all tasty. Although I've never had the soft kernel, just the dried one sold in the markets. The flowers of the makaleb are said to be very fragrant, which is why it's also called perfumed cherry. The flowers are quite pretty, as I suppose the Swiss will tell us, and that doesn't surprise me. Maybe this is why the Sumerians were driven to dissect that fruit. There had to be something good coming out of that tree, and they found it. The Sumerians started drying those seeds and grinding them to powder to flavor baked goods. The Ankochilis, famous Greek chef and cookbook writer, suggests boiling and straining them, which I've never done, so that was a new thought for me. I love the way these cookbook writers experiment we'll post photos of the dried kernels because that's how you buy them and what the ground up powder looks like do not pop that powder on your tongue even though it smells like heaven i hadn't put a maclepy seed in my mouth since i was a kid i did it for the podcast even though i know better i chewed up that thing yep it's bitter it tastes almost rancid but it changes like magic when you bake with it Uses directed because, like all cherry pits, these contain hydrogen cyanide. I've never heard of anybody poison themselves or somebody else with makhapi. It's an interesting thought. I guess it might upset your stomach if you got carried away. At that point, the taste would probably be ruined anyway. Definitely, it would be ruined. A little goes a long way in flavoring. Also, before we go any further, important allergy alert. I read an abstract on the website for the National Institute of Health. I really am a nerd, where scientists prove there's a cross-allergy between mahleb and almonds. Apparently, almond trees and the mahleb cherry trees are members of the same genus. People who are allergic to almonds might have cherry allergies. Doesn't always happen because there is a relationship between the two types of trees, but the mahleb cherry looks to be more of a definite problem. Just in case you wanted to know this, the article is titled, A cherry-seed-derived spice makhleb is recognized by anti-almond antibodies, including almond allergic patient IgE. And we have it linked in the sources, because of course we do. So be careful if you have an almond allergy. If you're eating Greek, Turkish, Armenian, or Middle Eastern baked goods in particular, ask if they contain mahleb. Let's talk about the important part. What kind of foods we put mahlepi into? Greeks mostly use makhlepi for sweet breads. The Easter tsureki, the New Year I remember the aroma in my mother's warm kitchen when she was baking the holiday breads. I just wanted to breathe it in. I'm taken back there every time my daughter Sandra and I make the Easter bread. I'm not, in general, a food sniffer. But when it comes to tsureki, you want to, like, inhale it before you eat it. You just do. Maklepi can also be added to rice pudding. Greeks make excellent rice pudding, and I'm a huge fan of rice pudding in general, but I'll take risogalo any day of the week. And my husband's Cuban con Leche, also delicious. Mahalepi is a nice addition to cookies like gurubiedes and gurulakia or galactoburiko, also known as milk pie. God knows why. It's like a ready custard and phyllo. Some add maklepi to the honey syrup, that you pour over the nice hot tray of baklava to give it that sticky sweetness. Greek Cypriots make a sweet and savory cheesy Easter bread called flaunas. They're individual breads that almost resemble sealed tarts, like the folded over on itself. They have eggs, raisins, sesame, mint, and lots of butter. Easter breads are traditionally rich and a little decadent after all those days of fasting. GreekBoston.com had an interesting point about Makhlepi and early Greek immigrants. It's not surprising that when Greeks first migrated to the West, they had to live without Makhlepi. What a horrible thought. When I was a kid, it was expensive. It's still not cheap, but it was expensive. And if you didn't get to the Greek store at least a week before Easter, you might find they'd run out. Then you had to call aunts, cousins, friends, whatever Greek you knew, and see who had some to share. I can't imagine what it was like making the traditional holiday breads without it. So the early Greek immigrants had to make do with substitutes like cinnamon, lemon rind, anise, orange rind, all flavorful ingredients. But it makes me think of the American Civil War soldiers having to substitute chicory for coffee. Maybe it had its advantages, but it sure didn't taste like coffee. Choreg is a braided Armenian uh, yeast bread. It's traditional for Easter, but many Armenians eat it year-round. They can either be sweet or savory, depending on the tradition of who's making it, the family tradition. It's spelled either C-H-O-R-A-G or C-H-O-R-E-G, choreg. Armenian Kitchen says either way, it's always eaten with cheese and a strong cup of coffee. That sounds good. Popular uses for mahleb in Turkey include a savory bun called porcha. This is a really versatile bun that can have many different fillings, as well as different herbs and spices added to the dough, including makhleb. Then there's simit. I love simit. It's a circular bread with sesame. There was a little Turkish bakery in nearby Montclair that I could walk to, and I walked there often. I literally cried when they closed. I just found out that in the US, simit is sometimes called a Turkish bagel. Just call it Simit delicious. Although in the video recipe we linked, the simit looks smaller and fatter than any I've ever seen. They kind of look like bagels. I keep getting distracted looking at Turkish, Armenian, Egyptian, Syrian, Palestinian, and Lebanese recipes, whether they have mahlab or not. They're so familiar in so many ways, but at the same time different from what we do. I saved a ton of them in my YouTube history because now that I ground up some mahlepi for the photograph, I need to use it up while it's still fresh. Ma'mul cookies are semolina cookies especially popular during holidays like Eid or Easter. There are a lot of Orthodox and other Christians living throughout the Middle East, so they are used for both holidays. YouTube channel Feast in the Middle East demonstrates her mom's traditional Palestinian take on mahmul using mahleb. I love that she hands it over to her mom to run the recipe. Check out the link. I keep finding mentions of an Egyptian paste using my that's spread on bread for breakfast or snacks, and I've gone insane trying to find it. It includes sesame seeds, nuts, honey, and olive oil, and I want to eat it right now. I finally found a post on Serious Eats where the writer says two parts sesame seeds, two parts honey, one part extra virgin olive oil, And just enough makhleb to make its presence known. If you've never used makhleb, be careful. And how delicious it would be rolled up in a pastry. If anybody listening has a different recipe or can tell me what it's called, please email or leave a message on the website. Really, like six different sources mentioned it, but not one even said what it's called. That's just wrong. Is there a curse on anybody who dares say the name of this food? Really? Then there's kak, a Lebanese snack, which is a ring of crunchy sesame seed-covered bread with a soft center. It looks similar to simit or Greek kalouri, but sweeter, I think. And there's kakalib or Lebanese milk bread, a soft makhleb-flavored bun, also shaped like a ring, like a personal sweet bread, probably excellent for dessert, or breakfast, or coffee break, with coffee. It sounds good. Of course, in any Greek, Turkish, Middle Eastern, or Armenian baked goods, you can add makhleb for the distinctive flavor. The recipes we've linked can give you an idea of how much to use against the amount of flour, milk, semolina, or whatever. So you can experiment. But get a good idea first of what you're doing. Now, where to get makhleb? Titan Foods, the Greek grocery store in Astoria, if you're in the New York City area, It's a great place to buy Mahlepi, as well as lots of other necessary ingredients for Greek cooking and baking, as well as prepared foods. Titan also suggests Mahlepi makes a good addition to pies, juices, smoothies. Never would have thought of a juice or smoothie, but okay. On a side note, Titan Foods will be closed the summer of 2023 while they relocate. Their landlord sold the building. But they'll be back in the fall and will be ready to storm the automatic doors as soon as they open. Stay tuned. Meanwhile, we'll continue to get our Greek staples here in Northeastern New Jersey from Liberty Foods, better known as the Greek store in Kenilworth. Our most recent makhleb purchase there cost us $4.59 for a 50-gram bag of the seeds or kernels, which is about 1.7 ounces. That's a pretty good deal. They also sell already ground makhrepi, but honestly, fresh ground is the best way to go. The fresher, the better. We use a small coffee grinder to powder ours right before we use it. If you buy the powdered, Run home as fast as you can, safely, and use it right away. We didn't get a chance to get down to the Greek store this week when we realized we needed a little more maklepi for the photos, so we went to a small local market where we spent approximately $5 an ounce. So unless you have emergency maklepi needs, and we all do from time to time, let's be honest, get to one of the bigger Greek or Middle Eastern grocers or you will pay any of the Turkish and Middle Eastern grocers will carry it as well as the Greeks. For our area, there are Turkish markets in Clifton, Newark, Patterson, Elmwood Park, New Jersey, in New York, Queens and Brooklyn, Middle Eastern markets in Newark, Patterson, Belleville, in New York, Manhattan, uh, Brooklyn, Yonkers, um, as well as many other places, just Google it. But so many cities and towns throughout the US and Europe have Greek and Middle Eastern markets now, Mahleb is much easier to find than it was even a few years ago. I think even Amazon is selling mahleb now. But they're sort of the evil empire. Uh, Your best bet is uh, Greek, Turkish, or Middle Eastern markets on the whole seeds to grind yourself. Amazon is only selling the powder, and who knows how long it's been sitting there. If you're like me and would rather eat it than make it, there are so many amazing bakeries for Greek, Turkish, Armenian, Syranese, Lebanese, Egyptian, Palestinian, etc. treats, If they're out of reach for you, many are now shipping those goodies out. The main producers and exporters of makhleb are Iran, Turkey and Syria in that order, which makes sense because those populations and the ones around them are using this spice regularly. Greece also produces it. My package right here says product of Greece because Greek people love it. Armenians too but I'm not sure if they're producing it. I think whatever Armenian sites, uh, baking sites I looked on, they suggested Middle Eastern markets. What about the Greeks, Armenian people, come on. It's a very labor intensive process. So unless world demand for makhleb goes way up, people in Alaska and Switzerland are not gonna be harvesting those trees. Interesting note. Two sources mentioned makhleb being used for perfumes in Turkey and the Middle East Possibly before somebody decided to take the next step and see if using it on food made it any less bitter. And man, I I think I'm going to slap some of this powder on myself and see what happens. Because I I, I can't even explain. It is like a perfumey smell, but a fruity, fruity, makhlepy, perfumey smell. I don't know. I would follow anyone around who had smelled like makhlepy. I can't sign off without talking about the medicinal properties of the These are mostly folk remedies. Some of them mentioned in multiple sources are pretty consistent with what scientists are saying. Um, They're studying this. Um, Some of them are just far-fetched. The ones that are far-fetched, I saw only on one source and I won't speculate on what that's about. Just remember, just because somebody says it online doesn't make it true. You gotta do your homework. Luckily, I did it for you Nowhere did I see how these remedies were administered. I mean, here you go. Have to call me in the morning. Tsureki always makes me feel better, but I don't know if it's really necessary to eat a quarter loaf at a time just to make sure. I'm guessing tea, tinctures, and stuff like that. I don't know. Couldn't find any references to how. I'd love it if someone listening could tell us more. I am not dissing folk remedies, mind you. I have a handful of my own that I rely on regularly and they might make a good episode. Anyway, asthma and hypertension are the medical conditions my club is used for most often in these folk remedies. I saw it called an anti-inflammatory repeatedly. The seeds and bark contain coumarin, which has anti-inflammatory properties. Many sources say it also helps improve digestion. Then as I kept digging, I can't help myself, I started seeing that Makleb might helpful, be helpful with diabetes and heart disease because of the oleic and linoleic acids. And that made me head over to the National Institute of Health again, which has a pretty extensive library of medical papers, reports, and documents. They report Makleb is high in polyunsaturated fat, which is always good. I have no idea how many of those tough-to-process seeds you need to consume to make a positive difference possibly enough that the cyanide might be an issue, which I think can be boiled off. But honestly, there are easier ways to access polyunsaturated fat like walnuts, flaxseed, sunflower seeds, fish. It's nice to know for those of us who consume it fairly regularly that makhlab is a good thing besides being delicious. Most of the studies I came across are centered around the Middle East where makhlab is used most frequently. Many of those are in Arabic or Turkish, so I really couldn't explore much further in my deadline. I wasn't finding the translations easily. The kind of wacky claims I found were on a blog where it was claimed my head could help tumors, osteoporosis, and Alzheimer's. My mom had Alzheimer's. She ate my club. I saw no difference. And I found no evidence whatsoever, no supporting sources, no mentions in any other materials of... Tumors, osteoporosis, or Alzheimer's. But suffice it to say, if you're eating a nice simit, sureki or kakalib, unless you're allergic to almond, you're doing yourself a favor. It's hard to get me into the kitchen unless somebody else's dinner. But I do like to bake and even cook a little on the rare occasion. More baking than cooking, although since Sandra started working as a baker a few years ago, I got lazy. But I saw so many recipes while I was working on this episode that I'm inspired We'd love to hear from anyone who's baking or cooking with Makleb, whether it's your ethnic birthright or new passion. Now I'm hungry. Thanks for listening. Greek Like Me is a Stealth Greek production. This episode was researched, written, and narrated by me, your host, Pamela Wood. Our producer, photographer, and post-production editor is Douglas John. Eduardo Gill, as usual, puts his two cents in with his research because he can't help himself either. Visit our website at StealthGreek.com for resources, photos, links, and more. Please rate, like, and subscribe. It helps us to get noticed so we can keep making content about Greeks and Greek culture. Find Greek Like Me on Facebook or on Instagram at Greek underscore like underscore me. See you next time. Yes, us.